0: Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest-hitting social issues in sports. On today's show, the 2021 U.S. Open was one of the most talked-about tennis tournaments in history, with storylines both on and off the court. We recap the tournament and detail all the important takeaways from the two weeks in Queens, New York. My name is Chad Wiley, and with me, as always, is John Nekrasov. And, John, how are you doing this week?
1: Chad, I'm doing pretty well. Um, it is my weekend, you know, in the middle of the week, since that's that that Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. Um, you know, I I watched tennis during this tournament. It's kind of the weird thing. Like I, I found myself drawn to the storylines of this tournament, like very few times with tennis generally. And I think I'm just a, a part of me is becoming a tennis fan a little bit. I'm starting to understand and like keep track of the personalities a little bit more and my roommate also loves tennis and so like that's a, there's an added factor of like being able to like get into it a little bit more and understand it um, but I think I'm enjoying watching it and obviously I love table tennis you know and so it's the tennis is kind of like an extension of that or vice versa you know but I'm also realizing watching tennis gives me anxiety really? like the longer the longer a rally goes the more like if I want someone to win the longer a rally goes the more like with table tennis, it's sort of like everything's so fast-paced, you don't have time to think. But with tennis, like there's such a long wait time and build up in between like hits that it like I feel this like rising tension. So anyway, I love tennis, but it's also like I have to like manage my stress levels.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was going to bring this up later, but you mentioned it, John. I think that I've I always was hoping that through this podcast I could turn you into a baseball fan. And eventually, I gave up on that. But then I realized tennis was my angle. Like, you mm-hmm. you have you have seen me during my transformation into a hardcore soccer fan, right? And I feel like I'm witnessing your transformation into a true tennis savant too.
1: I subscribed to your tennis podcast that you listened to last week. Oh,
0: you, you listen to the tennis podcast? Yeah, yeah, they're great. They're really fun. <laughs> no, I
1: think you're. I think you're right. I think it. There's an element of my like snooty Britishness. That connects to tennis culture way more than most of the sports you tried to get me to connect very to. snooty Britishness.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's what's probably happening right now. Are you doing well? Yeah, man, I'm doing really good. I uh, Have just been hanging out watching. Uh, I'm still grinding through the Clone Wars mm-hmm. uh, Slowly, but surely I'm also I'm well kind of still I haven't given an update on my big like movie series saga I'm still in the middle oh, of that. Oh, that's right.
1: I forgot about that. I
0: uh, I'm coming toward the end. I don't have a whole lot left, and I'm saving Marvel and Star Wars for the very end. But I'm in a fat. A- I just wrapped up Fast and Furious, and I also wrapped up uh, Rocky, the Rocky series. So
1: let me know when you do the Marvel movies, because honestly, I would think about like rewatching all of them.
0: Okay. Uh, well, the real question: Are you including the Incredible Hulk or not? So that's the question. Well, probably not. <laughs> probably, yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> Um, other than that, man, life is good. I uh, before we get into the tennis, I think the the thing I've been keeping a lot of attention to is, you know, it's it's impossible to actually religiously watch the baseball regular season. There's just too many games. They're all too long. It's mm-hmm. every single day, and it's very easy to like skip some. Especially, but I don't am care about them, like I right, am. sure, but I am <laughs> checking Twitter nightly to keep up with the home run race. And people always talk about, like, the 98 home run race with Maguire and Sosa and how it was, like, nightly thing. And we truly are in the middle of one that's similar with uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. now taking the lead with 45 and then Salvador Perez and Shohei Otani right behind at uh, 44. I think everyone kind of assumed that it was Shohei Otani's title to win, and he's kind of been in the slump for the last 30 days, and Guerrero has really shot up, and so— Uh, That's been really, really fun just to keep up with. Those are two really, really awesome young players. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, yeah, that's been a lot of fun. And then, obviously, the Steelers won on Sunday. And I think the Steelers were kind of coming into the season a little under the radar. No one really knew what was going on. I saw that, like, most media people were kind of putting them around 16th or so in their power rankings. Mm -hmm. And they put together a really great win against the Bills. And so that had me pretty pumped this weekend as well so that's that's me right now
1: the Titans were very poor on every really really possibly. bad very yeah. poor <laughs> I was displeased in almost every regard but there were a couple games I watched the end to the Bengals Vikings game which was mm. great like mm-hmm. of the of regulation I watched the end of the Raiders um Ravens game the which Monday that was phenomenal game. yeah the Monday night game and I also watched the Thursday night opener between the Cowboys and the Bucks, and that was also a delight to watch. Like, I got to watch a lot of good football and tried to avoid most of the Titans game because he, he was terrible.
0: Do you want to do a var corner this week? Because I have a Monday Night related var corner. If you want to do that, if you have. Oh, actually, well. we, we can do it. I do have a var corner. Yeah. Okay. All right. Then I'll save that for later. I have
1: a I have a tennis related var corner, but it's okay. It, it it's it merits its own separate its own. discussion. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, John, before we dive into the uh, the tennis. You know, between our last podcast, you actually watched Shang Chi, and I, I watched Shang Chi for the second time, and we <laughs> promised listeners at least you know three minutes of good conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What you think about Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? I really liked it, actually.
1: Yeah, um, I'm a sucker for martial arts stuff. I uh, you promised me good martial arts scenes, and it delivered in abundance. Mm. Um, I won't spoil anything because this is just a short review um, but I thought the plot you know it it was just a solid Marvel plot it wasn't like it was absolutely transformational or anything you know but I enjoyed the characters enjoyed the villain Yeah, I thought it was just really fun as an experience where I sat, sat through the whole thing and I was like you know what I can take nothing away from that experience it wasn't a, like a necessarily a 10 out of 10 movie but it was a 10 out of 10 experience that I enjoyed all the way through and would totally watch again like it was one of my favorite Marvel one-offs that I've seen.
0: Hmm. Did you get to? Uh, did you notice what I said about the uh, Shang Chi shoe game? Did you notice actually? I didn't. Not at movie? all. No, I totally missed okay. that. Okay, that's all
1: right. I didn't even think about um, that. That shows how much I care about shoes, though. I just buy shoes at like <laughs> at like Academy Sports. I was like, oh, there's the first shoe done.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna do a spoiler-free talk, then I guess I'll hit a couple things. One, the soundtrack is mm. just beautiful. It's so good. Yeah, the soundtrack is as good of a Marvel soundtrack as you will find. It's it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um I think also like I like you mentioned the martial arts the sequence on the scaffolding outside the building kind of like yes. a third of the way into the movie mm-hmm. is some of the best action that you'll see. Do you think it's better than the bus scene Marvel? though? It, it, I thought the bus, the bus scene was really good too. I thought the bus scene was yeah. my favorite one. Okay. Um the other thing I think that obviously and this is my minor spoiler they do mm-hmm. some work to bring Shang-Chi into the larger MCU story right. and i i kind of wonder about that because i love simu lu as an actor and mm-hmm. i thought that the character was really good but he doesn't have the like a plus plus star charisma of like robert downey jr or mm-hmm. or like chris evans he doesn't have you know, this this movie felt in many ways like a movie by committee mm-hmm. where he was great, but he no. wasn't like much better than Aquafina or the sister or the dad. Like, this was kind of a movie where the entire ensemble starred as opposed to like, this was the Simu Liu movie, whereas mm-hmm. in like Iron Man or Captain America you're really seeing one charismatic superstar kind of take over. And I wonder if that is going to elevate Simu Liu and Shang-Chi's place in the MCU or if it's kind of going to cause him to be pushed to the sidelines in terms of like Doctor Strange or Loki or other people who are taking on that A++ charisma superstar role and kind of pushing Simu Liu to kind of like where Paul Rudd's Ant-Man has been. I think that's more likely. yeah. Which is disappointing, because I love Simu Liu and I think he's excellent.
1: I but love that he had a stock... I don't know if you've seen any of the stock yes. photos that he was he was in prior the to his acting image, career. Yeah, the Getty image yeah, stock photos. One of my favorite things. If you haven't seen it, go look up Simu Liu's stock photo career, because it's a delight.
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Shang-Chi's really good. I'm also really liking "What If," as always. I uh, this last one that came out yesterday was the one that I was looking the most forward to of all of them. So that's all I'm going to say. Mm, Episode yeah, six with a Iron Man and them, Killmonger oh, is the yeah. one that uh, came out, and I was really excited about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, John, let's get into the um, the, tennis. the tennis. I I uh, I haven't seen tennis take over as much as it has in the past couple weeks where it was was kind of outdoing the NFL, it was outdoing baseball it was kind of outdoing all these other stories and it is because there were just so many stories. I have seven bullet points here Mm -hmm. and so let's go ahead and do the last thing first, which is Novak Djokovic, without the challenge of his two primary rivals, going for both the calendar Grand Slam and the all-time men's grand slam singles record mm-hmm. and he loses and yeah. he doesn't just lose he loses in straight sets and he is by any definition thoroughly outplayed yeah. by Dan- Daniel Medvedev not something a lot of people expected but i mean in terms of how that match went the the fair outcome was for mm-hmm. him to lose that match
1: yeah absolutely i think i think part of why the us open took such a big cultural mainstream moment in the sports world was because Djokovic was going for that calendar Gland Slam record which was I think it's last been done winning all four major tournaments of so the the French Open the Australian Open Wimbledon in the US Open in a year was last was it 69 for for men or for women for men
0: Yeah, the only man to do it was Rod Laver, and he actually did it twice. He did it in 1962, and he did it in 1969. Yeah, yeah, good job. Yeah, so
1: he did it twice. You know, that was a big, it's a big deal. A few women have done it as well, but it hasn't been done by a man since then. Hmm. Um, And so it was a big kind of cultural deal for Djokovic to have won three and be on the cusp of winning that fourth, making it all the way to the final. Hmm. And you think, like, As I've been kind of getting into tennis, it's sort of been this feeling of Djokovic being inexorable, being inevitable, Thanos-style. You know, that like no matter how far he gets pushed, you always get the feeling that he's just waiting to come back and bite you when you least expect it. You know, he went down in the French Open by two sets right in the final. He did, yeah. Yeah, and and so you kind of expect – you expect that he's always going to come back, but it looked different. It looked different this time. He started losing to Medvedev, and you start I, – I felt, you know, like you could – just watching his body language, you could tell that he didn't believe that he was going to win. And I don't know why. I think maybe there's a lot of reasons people have talked about. Like maybe he was just tired. The mental burden was
0: too much. Well, and um, Medvedev came in with an amazing game plan. And Medvedev was, was
1: excellent. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'll let you keep going, but it kind of it, – it didn't feel like – Obviously, the all the pressure was on Djokovic, but I didn't go away from that match thinking, "Man, Djokovic really choked." Like Djokovic wasn't at his best, but Medvedev really took the game to Djokovic in a big way.
1: Right. Yeah, I think that I think Djokovic. Something interesting that you see about this is that I think we talk about elite athletes at the very top of the game. You know, people like Djokovic and Ronaldo are kind of in the same breed, where you're like their mentality monsters, they can't lose, nothing affects them, you know, but in the end they're, Mm -hmm. they're people like us and like Djokovic talked about, I'm reminded of, you know, the things we talked about in the Olympics, you know, where Djokovic talked about like the importance of a winning mentality and stuff. Um, And that's true. And he wins so much because he has that winning mentality. But I think what, what we saw is that there's, everyone has a limit, you know, you can't keep winning forever. And no matter how good you are, you always reach a point, you know, where no matter how hard you push, you can't keep winning. You know, I guess it was just I'm I'm kind of bummed, honestly, that it was it was this point. Like I wanted him to win and it was strange to see people have been talking about how kind of Novak pushing for that win kind of won over tennis fandom in a way that it's never been won over on his side Mm -hmm. before.
0: Yeah, that's true. He 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 hasn't been the most popular guy, but mm-hmm. that day he was. If you're wondering why we're spending so much time talking about the loser instead of the winner, we're going to deal with Medvedev in John's far corner. But John, we had a conversation off air kind of on Sunday night about Djokovic and what this loss did to his legacy. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know if you kind of wanted to revisit that conversation a little bit on air because I, I, mm-hmm. I'm of the opinion that this loss does some serious damage to Djokovic's legacy because he was so expected to win and also because he was the first of the quote-unquote big three to crack in a Grand Slam final against someone from the new generation. You know, the only other guy in the quote-unquote new generation to win a Grand Slam was Dominic Thiem, but Thiem didn't have to beat one of the big three in that final. He uh, beat Stefano Tsitsipas, And so... We're dealing with Djokovic being, you know, not not breaking the tie against the other two, not getting the crown under Grand Slam, and being the first one to lose to one of the, you know, under 25s, 25 or unders in the tennis world. And so I thought that it did a lot of damage to his eventual legacy, especially if he doesn't go on, like, especially if, like, Rafael Nadal gets healthy and Djokovic doesn't go on to win the, all-time men's singles record
1: but haven't they all lost two members of their current generation outside the big three in finals
0: uh yeah well yeah so like they've lost to murray yeah or del pa- but I, I guess i'm Penso, i'm yeah. saying that you know they had a they had a hold especially for the last but the last time that one of them lost was djokovic to stan Wawrinka in 2016 mm-hmm. so for yeah. the last five years or so they've had a complete stranglehold as all these young twenty-somethings, as they're all getting into their upper thirties, and these young twenty-somethings are challenging them, and for literally for five years, the big three held the line until I Djokovic guess, let I it go. I don't know.
1: I mean, Fed and Nadal have been injured regularly and have not mm-hmm. been making finals recently. They've been losing earlier, you know, and so like I don't, I don't think that. I wouldn't say that's a knock against Djokovic's legacy because first of all, I think he'll win more. I don't mm. think he's done. Um, By any means. Um, And I think it's also the fact that they are all getting so old and have maintained that stranglehold is unusual. Mm -hmm. And I think people, we expected it to end a long time ago. It's normal for younger players to win these trophies. Like on the women's side, you know, obviously the situation is different. You don't have three players just locking everything down. But younger players have still been winning stuff. Um, And it seems, I guess, the fact that Djokovic cracked in a final... To me, doesn't make me feel like oh he's somehow weak-minded now or something. Or yeah, like, yeah. I, I I I guess it's it's more a oh I, I'm surprised it took this long than anything yeah. else.
0: Yeah, it may not be a net negative for his legacy. I guess maybe what I'm trying to say is he had a chance to like close the door on the goat debate. He did. And he, did. he didn't. And he didn't That's take true. it. And so and so if for some reason he doesn't win. The all time men's Grand Slam singles title, I think this moment will be held against him. And so, in that moment, in that case, it would be like a net loss. In this point, it's kind of just like a missed opportunity to really just end the discussion. I think that's that,
1: fair. I think yeah. this, you're right, in that it's a knock against his legacy and establishing himself definitively as the greatest of all time. Yes. I think that's, well, that's, that's kind of the
0: conversation I was thinking about in terms okay. of like the big three. Yeah,
1: but I don't think, I don't think it ends up diminishing his legacy at all. And Medvedev said afterward, he said, "I think Novak is the greatest player of all time," yeah. even after beating yeah. him. You know, so for what it's worth.
0: John, let's let's kind of stay with the, the what we're talking about with the young, the young, quote unquote, young generation, because on the men's side, we had a quarterfinal matchup featuring a 21-year-old Felix or Jaleseem. And an 18-year-old Carlos Alcaraz, mm-hmm. who went on an incredible run. Uh, yeah. Carlos Alcaraz is a young Spaniard teenager who with who's getting, you know, Rafael Nadal comparisons. He's actually been Rafael Nadal's hitting partner in the past. He mm-hmm. is an excellent player, and kind of his debut moment, his welcome to the tennis world, was when he went out and beat Stefano Tsitsipas in five sets. The to, man. to 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 le- yeah we're, we're going to get to the Siseipas <laughs> side and you know part of why the crowd was supporting Alcaraz was because of what Stefanos Siseipas had done but John I I might have told you or I might have told somebody Carlos Alcaraz was getting ovations from the Arthur Ashe court that I've only seen Roger Federer and Serena Williams get mm-hmm. on that court he was getting as much love from those fans when he beat Stipas as I have ever seen. He, it was yeah. it was truly remarkable to see him go out there at 18 and do what he did.
1: Yeah, no, um, the big takeaway for me it's it's cool to see a young kid do that. But the big takeaway is just I loved I love that bathroom breaks have made Stefano Stipas like the villain of this tournament.
0: Yeah, well let's let's go there, shall we? <laughs> let's go um, there. Yeah, round one. Stefano Setsipas is playing Andy Murray, you know, much beloved Andy Murray uh, Much beloved Andy Murray. Icon of the sport. And it became a real pattern of Stefano Setsipas to whenever he would lose a set, he would have to go use the bathroom for 8, 10, 15 minutes. And... Uh, you know, afterward, and then he would come back, and all of a sudden the momentum would be changed. The other his opponent would have cooled down a little bit, and at least in the first three rounds, when he did this, pass would go on to win the match, mm-hmm. and Andy Murray was much peeved. About this, he was <laughs> very, he very unhappy. Like it, it
1: took it took it took him longer to go to the bathroom than Jeff Bezos to go into space. <laughs> yes, he
0: did. He did say that on Twitter uh, after after his he loss. He was so mad. And so, but the crazy part was, so Sizas does it round one. He yeah. does it again in round two after losing a set. He does it again in round three after losing a set, and then. He goes 2-1 down to Alcaraz, and he does it again. He did it all mm-hmm. four times. He goes to the bathroom for more than eight minutes immediately after losing a set. Yep. And I understand why everyone is so upset about it. I'm upset about it as just a yeah. fan. I <laughs> I think that it's an outrageous thing to do. And I I stand with Andy Murray. I was cheering as loudly as anyone for Carlos Alcaraz to beat since the pass because... I think he has legitimate cause to be a tennis <laughs> villain at this particular moment. Which is such a
1: stupid reason to be a tennis villain, but like—is it though? You well, uh, it's his fault, right? You know, like, right I'm not right. saying I mean, he should be a villain, but I'm saying it's, it's a yeah, okay. dumb reason to make yourself it's, a villain. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. But we need to I, talk I, about the women's stuff. Yeah let's get to let's get to the other side. That's uh, that's,
1: that's the really interesting stuff.
0: We had an all women's final featuring teenagers. That was two I uh, was uh, Layla Fernandez who's a 19 year old Canadian, uh, Filipino Canadian and then Emirata Kanu from Great Britain who was 18 years old. Emirata Kanu won. she dominated the entire tournament like mm-hmm. she didn't drop sets she barely dropped games. she thoroughly outplayed every single one of her opponents. both she and Layla Fernandez on their path to the final were beating out all the great players from Sabalenka mm-hmm. to Pliskova to Sakkari to Naomi Osaka like they really went through the entire gauntlet of female tennis except for really Serena and took them all down it was it was it was remarkable and Emma Raducanu played like i said she played some of the best players in the world and she outplayed every single one of them thoroughly mm-hmm. outplayed every single one of them it was remarkable to see i know you with your little great britain great britain bias are gonna have a lot to say about radhakanu but i think that she is a star i think that just from watching her as much as i have i think that her game is one that beats anyone Mm -hmm. she's so aggressive on her service returns she hits every single shot in the book she and she has so much courage to really go for the shot you know, she's giving herself plenty of margin for error, but she's not afraid to change the angle to really go for the win. She's not just playing for the other person to make a mistake. She really controls the points, and she's just phenomenal.
1: Yeah, it was remarkable. I mean, I think it was the it was the first matchup between unseated teenagers in the
0: final, right? That's right. Yeah, she was, and uh, Emma Raducanu was the first. Not, even, not just unseated, she was the first qualifier mm-hmm. to make the final yeah. and win.
1: And it, they kind of came out of nowhere, sort of. Obviously, so w- what's interesting is emirato Kanu, I remember hearing about the story, but I didn't know who she was, so it kind of flew under my radar. But she pulled out, I think, in the middle of a of a, of a game, a match in, in Wimbledon this summer because um, I think she was like, feeling lightheaded and mm. kind of out of it in the middle of a game and kind of took some criticism for that from, you know, people like our favorite Piers Morgan who loved to criticize people for, you know, being weak minded and whatever. This just seems like one of his pastimes.
0: Um,
1: as, as Piers
0: <laughs> cries and walks, okay, we'll get into that. I mean, what, no, we don't fine. need to go it's there again.
1: <laughs> you know, but like after that, you know, she took some time and then came back and clearly like she needed the break and she's yeah. able, she took on the pressure head on and blasted everyone out of the water. And it was Mm -hmm. remarkable to see, you know, like the amount of coolness that she played with, you know, and the the, kind of just the chillness she's taken all this media attention with in the immediate aftermath of winning has been remarkable. You know, it I think it the thing that stuck out to me most about this tournament on the women's side was that two teenagers made the final and one that was basically a total unknown before this all of a sudden is like the media darling of the whole UK and also of like kind yeah. of the world right now, you know, and it kind of stood out to me because Fernandez beat Osaka mm-hmm. um, earlier in the tournament, you know, and Osaka got increasingly frustrated as she was losing and started like smashing a racket around and stuff and, you know, clearly seemed out of it. And we've talked about Osaka before on this pod about how she's been doing and I think I think she announced that she wasn't going to be playing tennis for the time being, you know, and after losing and you just I think about I th- you know, these all these young players now who are making their mark within the women's game and how much pressure they seem to be playing under and how Osaka has kind of it seems to be almost kind of imploding under, under that pressure, you know, right now. And it's interesting to look at, you know, Raducanu sort of suddenly. Coming out of nowhere and getting all this attention, you know, the attention that Osaka got At the beginning of her career, you know And I've read some articles, you know talking about mental health within tennis about the pressure within tennis The isolation And I think it's a it's an interesting question to ask, you know, like What is tennis culture right now? Doing to its young talents like Mm -hmm. To track, you know, what's going to happen to radicano's career as she suddenly just is thrown into the limelight. Is she is it just that Osaka maybe doesn't have the personality to deal with that pressure or is she experiencing different pressure or will Radakanu perform differently or will she also get to the same place? You know, like I think it's the question of the media spotlight with a sport that's so individualistic but also supports young talent, you know, being able to play against older talent, you know, mm-hmm. in a way that like soccer with a team, like a young player has a team around them. You know, it's not just you. So I think, I think this final for me raises a lot of questions, kind of comparing the, the courses of Raducanu and Osaka's careers and asking like, you know, what is, what is this sport doing to its young players? You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, Osaka, I was surprised she played the U.S. Open at all. Yeah. Um, you know, she didn't play any tune-up events. I wasn't expecting to see her back. She came out. She won her first two matches pretty convincingly and then went out to Layla Fernandez in three sets. Obviously, she is struggling. Um, mm-hmm. She's she's going to take another break. I think this is something that, you know, I'm not going to be a armchair psycholo- psychiatrist or anything or try to, like, act like I have some sort of access into her life, but, like, clearly this is not just a small thing that's just going to go away, you know. This is something mm-hmm. that she's that she needs to feel comfortable taking as much time as she needs to get figured yeah. out and not feel like she has to come back to tennis because she doesn't. Like mm-hmm. we don't need her right now in tennis if she's not doing well. Um, and when, when we want to see her, obviously we want to see her. She's a great champion, but we want to see her when she really does feel her best. Right. And one of the things about Radicanu in particular that helped inspire this kind of Cinderella run was that she was so likable. Mm-hmm. You know, she had to get security guards toward the end. Like, she, at the end of every match, she would walk around the entire stadium and just take selfies with anyone who wanted to take selfies with her. And mm-hmm. by the end of it, like, the U.S. Open had to assign security guards to walk around the entire stadium with her for, like, 20 or 30 minutes as she just took pictures with people. Like, she did... Every single media request she was ever given, like, hours after she was done playing, you would see mm-hmm. her, like, in, like, Central Park or, like, outside the stadium just doing interviews. She she then won, and, like, she showed up at the Met Gala the other night. Like, she was there mm-hmm. at the Met Gala. Like, she really is, like you said, like, the, not just the media darling of Great Britain, but one of the true, like, media darlings of the world right now. And she seems... Uh, and she is so young that maybe it just hasn't like quite hit her what she's done in <laughs> yeah. the way that it sh- will or it should at some point but i do i do know this if she if she does not go on to win more it won't be for lack of talent like this was not a fluke win mm-hmm. she is she is absolute class and she has the game to compete with anyone in women's tennis right now. And I think one of the interesting parts about this final in particular was how different the journey of the two players were. Right. Where, you know, if, if Emma Raducanu was class, then Layla Fernandez was just grit. Like she was in a lot of three set tie break wars. You know, almost every single one of her matches were like three set multiple tie break, just battles, and she would grind out wins. Mm-hmm. And she answered some questions about where she got her strength from. She talked about how they were very poor growing up in Canada, how her she didn't see her mom for almost five years because her mom had to move to America to raise money to support her tennis career. And uh, just the, the inner strength that she has because of her life situation and how difficult life has been for her in the past. You saw that strength and that grit in her play and so I think your point about the fact that it's young players in particular that are being exposed to levels of scrutiny and attention that they may not be comfortable with, I think is a good point. And I think a lot of it also has to deal with your own background and your own experiences. Mm-hmm. That's like true. Leila Fernandez talked about how her upbringing prepared her for the mental war of tennis. Right. And it seems like Emma Raducanu's joyful outlook on life has prepared her to take media pressure and to mm-hmm. take uh, pub you know, people wanting all of her time and attention. Well, but obviously that happened in a win. We don't know what it would be like for her in a loss, and she is going to lose. Like she may lose Grand Slam finals. Like you, you know, she's not going to win every single major from now on. So we're going to see her face more adversity, and re- and it'll be interesting to see whether her media darling, positive outlook, you know. PR face of joy if that really is her all the time. And we'll, well see I, that more we, we in did the coming
1: see, months. again, we saw in Wimbledon a Yeah, that's true. of that. Yeah, that's true. You know, I, I don't think, yeah. I, I wouldn't say that she's untested in that. Like, this is her first summer, really, in the limelight, playing top-level tennis. But, I mean, she had to come back from that. Well, I mean, She had to come back right. from just
0: leaving the game. No, I understand that she left Wimbledon. I mean that, like, for, as of right now, right, she will be on center court every single time right like like her like her I don't remember, I did I, I didn't even know she lost at Wimbledon until you mentioned it because I wasn't really following her at Wimbledon mm-hmm. everyone is following her now in a way that her losses are going to be more high profile now because they will be right. you know center court grandstand primetime night session mm-hmm. losses or wins and so we're going to see what that looks like for her
1: Yeah, I forget about sometimes the fact of how plugged into the British media I am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, clearly. I'm like, oh
1: yeah, I totally heard about that. You're like, what?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know who she was until literally this tournament. Yeah. Well I didn't Um,
1: either, but I had heard about the story. I just mm. didn't know the name.
0: Yeah. John, any other thoughts about this? I think obviously keeping Osaka in mind, do you want to do you wanna just narrow in on her journey a little bit in terms as opposed to just her compared to Radakanu because like I said, I was surprised that she played this tournament at all. I don't know yeah. if you watched any of her matches, but. No, I didn't. Uh, she seemed fairly comfortable for the first two. Like she won in straight sets. But when. And then she won the first set against Layla Fernandez. But there was a moment in that match where Layla Fernandez won a really, really long rally, won the point, and just didn't look back. And Osaka was hitting her shots okay. But it did seem like she lost the will to fight. And it. it I don't want to characterize her in any way disparaging or mischaracterize her. But just the way that it appeared like she, in that moment, she was like, it, it seemed like her mindset was, you know, playing this game right now is not worth all the suffering I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And that's not a place that you want to be in when you're also trying to compete.
1: Yeah, I th- I feel like she's... Like, we talked about both Osaka and Biles this summer, you know? And, and Biles had, you know, like, had the yips, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. And it was a different thing than what Osaka was going through. Yes. Even though we connected the two. It it, it feels like Osaka's kind of lost a little bit of, like, the joy of playing her sport. Mm-hmm. You know, like, when she didn't want to talk to the media, that kind of stuck out to me at the time as, like, a you know, you don't have to... Enjoy talking to the media, you know, but it usually like sometimes people just hate the media, but normally like if it feels like a player is enjoying the game, they want to be talking to their fans, you know, in my mind. Um, you always think of Jürgen, you know, yeah. sending his, his funny mess. Jürgen Klopp sending his funny messages out to the fans and whatever and on TV, like he may be complaining when they lose or whatever, like Jürgen is a little bit of a complainer, but like, you know, he'll go and talk to the press and you you... You get the feeling that they're speaking out to their fans and knowing that their fans care.
0: When yeah, when sports are fun, the players have fun.
1: Yeah. And it yeah. It, it was kind of indicative for me back then, I think, that, you know, she wasn't trying to hide from the spotlight when you're the number one, like, mm-hmm. spotlight tennis player usually says that there's something wrong, you know. And obviously she said that there was, but, you know, it it's clear that it's not something that's just gonna be Resolved easily, like you said like it's it's a matter of does she really want this for herself? I don't, yeah. Know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and we the the, that is
0: the media needs to stop You know we we need to stop previewing tournaments like is this the one Naomi Osaka will come back for like we need to stop putting a Countdown on this yeah. uh, She needs to be able to go as far away from the sport and the media as she needs for as long as she wants to get right and there should be no expectation that she ever returns if she doesn't want to. It should be entirely, but she should have as much space and as much freedom to to figure herself out and then decide yeah. is tennis something I need to keep doing or not. And you want if to not, be able, she'll be fine. Yeah,
1: you want to be able to see her enjoy tennis.
0: Yeah, that's it's right. It's not, you that's know,
1: right. it's if if that's not there, then you know the fans have no fun with it. You know, you're 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 seeing a, like a like watching Arsenal. Sometimes it's just like it's just a lifeless team. You're just like none of you are here really doing this because you enjoy it. You're just slogging through day after day. I'm like, just like yeah. score a goal already for crying <laughs> out loud! Like, <laughs> so when we scored a goal last week, it was like, you know, maybe we're coming back.
0: Before John goes full rage mode on Arsenal, I think we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this part of the That's podcast. Probably wise. <laughs> um, I'm I'm just excited for more. Australian, um, the Australian Open is just a few months away. You should be I,
1: excited for me watching tennis.
0: Yeah, John is in. I've got a new <laughs> tennis buddy. This is amazing. Uh, one day I'll get John actually out on the court playing tennis and we'll see how that goes.
1: There's a course right near my house. so maybe I'll. Hey,
0: some. we'll make it happen. Yeah. Uh, so that's all for part one, guys, but don't go anywhere yet because we are going to have a little bit more on the U.S. Open and one other story as well in yep. VAR Corner and just you guys are fun. not going to want to miss that. <laughs> And we are back with VAR Corner. We have some observations or critiques or recommendations or whatever it's going to be this week. John, we're, we're, we're continuing the tennis vibe. You go ahead and go first.
1: Yeah, so my brief VAR Corner is just a shout-out to Daniel Medvedev, who celebrated his win against Djokovic by flopping to the ground. And then to the media afterwards, he explained, he said, "I what did he say, something like, Legends only would understand. That's right. Left trigger, left trigger, right stick. That's right. Something like that, and everyone's like, "What does that mean?" All these like old fogies are like, "What?" Like everyone knows he's a gamer. It's a FIFA celebration. He literally told the media, "It's like the like
0: the brick wall." It's called the dead. It's called the dead. It's called the dead fish.
1: Dead fish or brick wall. Yeah. Um, But you just flop to the ground as if you're like a dead fish or something or you've run into a brick wall, basically. And so he just did that with his tongue hanging out on the ground. Um, And I just am so happy to see FIFA celebrations taking the world by storm. That's that's really. Yeah, I
0: I knew that that would speak to your heart, John. I knew that as soon (laughs) as I saw it. (laughs) I
1: was like, Djokovic may have lost and I'm sad, but shout out to my boy.
0: Yeah, I think that – I I didn't talk much about Medvedev but um, because I saved it for this. Mm -hmm. He's very, very good. (laughs) He is quite talented. He's very, very good. I remember because he was in the 2019 US Open final against Rafael Nadal, and Nadal beat him in five sets a couple years ago. Um, I remembered it then. I remember it now. He is excellent. His movement is really good. He really – Had Djokovic playing defense for most of that Mm -hmm. match, he was just attacking the forehand, attacking the backhand, really going for shots. It was it was a tennis clinic. He was amazing.
1: Well, people were saying that he was playing a lot like old school Djokovic. Yes,
0: one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Just
1: kind of controlling him from the baseline constantly and not allowing him to move. Yeah, he's so big, so lanky.
0: Yeah, he's really tall. Um, My var corner is something that. I kind of I wasn't sure if I was actually going to watch it or not because my confession is that I actually watch a lot of sports on mute or on silent oh. <laughs> while while my wife and I are like watching TV or uh, doing other things throughout the evening. But I decided for the first part of Monday Night Football that I was going to try out the new alternate broadcast oh, on yes. ESPN two with the Manning brothers Peyton and Eli Manning. And this is something that they're going to do for the entire season on Monday night. It's going to be on either ESPN Two or ESPN Plus. I know that this upcoming game is going to be on ESPN Two, and it's literally Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, and then random guests just sitting on couches and doing the game commentary. And it got weird at times, as like Peyton Manning put on like a fake visor and fake headf- headset and tried to like impersonate. Uh, John Gruden during the match or like they have a big whiteboard and Peyton Manning was like drawing up plays and explaining the verbiage and then they had some guests on like Charles Barkley and Ray Lewis and they were swapping stories about Eli Manning's first start against the Ravens when he had a 0.0 QBR against the Ravens and Ray Lewis was giving him some grief about it. Oh Um, no. it, It was fun. It was really, really fun to watch. Sometimes... It was, felt like they were trying to explain more than the even like an experienced football fan like I could understand. Like <laughs> yeah. They were just sometimes throwing a lot of information our way. But it was also really fun to just see these two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks just having fun watching football, talking about it with Charles Barkley and Ray Lewis and their buddies. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It made watching the Monday Night Football game more fun. And I'm excited to tune into this particular broadcast on a weekly basis. So that's did my Did we talk
1: about them when we talked about sports families in that episode?
0: Uh I'm sure we did, right? We I can't went... remember. I don't feel like we did. Did we not?
1: I feel like we forgot that. I mean, they're a they're great like sports family. Related. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like <laughs> Sorry, their guys. dad
0: played their dad played in the NFL. Oh, I didn't know that. Archie. And then they uh graduating. and then one of them. I think it's like either their nephew or one of their I think it's a nephew who's also really, really good. Uh
1: I do love the hoodoo that Eli Eli Manning holds over Tom Brady.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. They're uh, <laughs> they're fun. I like them. I like this broadcast. I highly recommend yeah, you at least fun. try it out once. I don't think it's everyone's cup of tea, but it mm-hmm. felt it made watching the game like it's one of those things where you can just like you feel like you're just grabbing a beer in a bar with the Manning brothers watching football. Mm-hmm. And why that not? was uh yeah, why not? It's fun. Uh, that's yeah. my recommendation. At least try it out one time. Try it out this Monday, uh, week two. I've, I don't, I don't remember who the Monday Night game is, but uh, doesn't matter because Peyton and Eli will be there, and that's all I'm mm-hmm. tuning in for. Yeah. Any other sports, life, pop culture related thoughts, John? Before we let the let the people go this week. No, that's it. We've gone 15 minutes. Any follow-ups on go. Jason Sudeikis coming on the show after last week or? Oh no, I, I haven't no. heard
1: anything back from him since then. I've tagged him a few more times, but he hasn't liked any of them. So okay, that's like, it was too a bad. one-time thing. But all right, but we did see that makes it all the more remarkable. He doesn't like every mention that he gets, mm. which makes means it all that the we more really special. we really were that's right. graced by Jason himself.
0: Jason, thank you uh, Jason, again for that you're love. A hero. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's all we've got this week, guys. I uh, we I know we talked about doing something uh, 9-11 related at some point and I think the moment kind of passed and the story became big so that may be something that we revisit Mm -hmm. sometime in the future or next year. I know we have a lot of other ideas kind of rolling around the back of our heads so there will be a podcast next week. It will will be be. good. You will like it. Um. (laughs)
1: Please listen to it.
0: (laughs) So make sure that you subscribe so that it comes across your feed and follow us on social media where we keep all of our just updates about what's going on with the podcast and with our lives and in sports, so. And if, um,
1: and if you listen to it, make sure to share it so we can you
0: yeah, know, get more listeners. Yeah, please do. Either share it like on social media or just like literally like hold up your phone to Watch a friend and be friend. like, hey, yeah. yeah, listen to this. Um, that would be great. We can, if everyone does that, the world will be a better place when people are listening to me and John talk about sports. <laughs> <laughs> Until next week, guys, we hope you all continue to be well, be safe. Uh, Be curious and not judgmental. Be a goldfish. All the things. (laughs) We'll talk to you later. All the
1: things. All the Ted Lasso. (laughs) All the Ted (laughs)
0: Lasso's.